God is indeed faithful. One of the verses they mentioned in the video is that God will never leave us or never forsake us. Not once, not twice, but three times in Scripture, God reminds us of that, that he's always in our corner. We're going to talk about that today in a few minutes, about how God is faithful to us, even in the hard times. I am so grateful for the opportunity to come and speak to you again. I've been here many times. When I woke up this morning, I thought, oh, it's like going home when I go to Central. I just feel comfortable here. And of course, I have many friends in this place. I remember the first two Sundays that I came to Central were actually communion Sundays, not consecutively, but in two months. The first two Sundays, truth, right in the back, I spilled the communion stuff. Uh, on the carpet, and I had to go out and get, you know, blotted up, and it's amazing that you even had me back. I am so glad to be here. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I encourage you to open it up to a well-worn passage, but a very unfamiliar book for many of us. It's called the Book of Lamentations. So open up your Bible to the Old Testament, Lamentations chapter 3, and when you go there, I invite you to blow off the dust because it's not a passage or it's not a book that we spend a lot of time with because it's all about hard times. But in the midst of the hard time passages, we discover these six verses that speak of the hopefulness of life. We're talking about remembering God's faithfulness today. Remembering is pretty important. And so opening up God's word and what he has to say. I'm remembering by bringing an old Bible. This was my high school Bible, actually, and I brought it this Sunday because when I, I read through this Bible, I read the little notes that I wrote to myself about what I was learning, and it reminds me of God's faithfulness throughout the journey. I also remember with this Bible, uh, I, when I fell in love with, with God in high school, and I fell in love with God's Word, we would go to the youth group that I was uh, at the church I was attending, and we would bring our Bibles, and we would, we would uh, you know, sit out on the lawn of the youth center before we would go in and, and have the Bible study with the, with the uh, youth group meeting. And there was three of us, Danny uh, and me and Don. And Don had brought a big Bible. It was like a pulpit Bible, and he would haul that thing around <coughs> and bring it with him wherever he would go. And, you know, it was laying in the... Uh, leg on the grass, and the wind was blowing the pages, and uh, a bug landed on one of the pages. And Don, you know, being you know, a high school freshman, took the Bible and went boom and slammed it and squished the bug. And being high school freshmen, we wanted to see what verse uh, the bug was smashed next to. And we opened it up, and no lie, it literally said, oh, you who have slain the innocent, you know, <laughs> We, we got our Bibles and we went into the youth group meeting. We all vowed to become pastors that day, and that's what it was. Um, the Bible, it's very, very important and has truth that will guide us through life. I've said this many times, I've been here, but I like to do it all the time, is that we refer to this as the good book. But I like to refer to it as the guidebook, because a good book is something we pick up and we read, we appreciate it, and then we put it on the shelf, and that's where it stays. 
But a guidebook is something we pull out and we use it every day to help us maneuver through the complexity of life. And that's what the Bible is. It's the guidebook that God has offered us. By the way, this is a pretty well-worn Bible, isn't it? Actually, I brought it to the beach once. Yes, I was a high school kid growing up in Southern California, and I brought my Bible to the beach. And uh, sand got in all the binding, and it messed it up, and that's why it's a well-worn Bible. I invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Again, a reminder that in the midst of five chapters of very vivid descriptions of hard times, we encounter these verses that speak of the hope that we can experience. Brothers and sisters, hear God's Word. Yet... This I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you recognize that? I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the ones who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Will you pray with me? God, we pause for a moment, mindful that Lamentations is a book in the Bible about hard times. Yet we encounter this very familiar passage that speaks some of the most hope-filled words that we can find. God, we come together this morning. We ask that you would teach us and remind us to remember your faithfulness. And we pray a very bold prayer as we begin this time. God, what do you have in store for us today? Whatever it is, I want to be part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So follow along and track along with me on the screens, especially if you're watching online. But if you're in the the, uh, congregation or online, open up your Bible and track through these verses with me. As I mentioned, the first five chapters, really the the five chapters, there's only five chapters of Lamentations, uh, are a series of laments where uh, Jerusalem has just been attacked and destroyed by the by in, the, invading, the, the invading Babylonians. And the prophet Jeremiah uh, is walking through the area and describing a description of what he sees. And it's discouragement and disappointment, uh, hard times and devastation. It, uh, Lamentations is written in what we call limping meter. Uh, it's, uh, it's a way of, of writing, it's a rhythm, a poem, uh, a poetic meter that is like a dirge. It's meant to express the melancholy mood of what is being read. The first four chapters of the f- five chapters are an acrostic. Um, uh, in the Hebrew alphabet, that means that every verse begins with a letter of that Hebrew alphabet. Uh, It doesn't translate well into English, but if it was in English, the first verse would all begin with the letter A, the second with B, you know, C, D, and all the way down to Z. Uh, uh, And how appropriate, because Lamentations, all five verses, all five chapters, helps us remember and gives us a picture of God's faithfulness and the hard times that comes from A to Z in all shapes and sizes. And true enough, 
Indeed, hard times comes in many shapes and sizes. Uh, if we're parents, you know, we have hard times with our kids sometimes. If we're kids, we have hard time with our parents. Um, our job, our finances, health, fears, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, the lack of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Matter of fact, I discovered this passage when I was 16 years old when a girl broke up with me. Okay, I know you're looking at me and going, how could anybody ever do that? I don't know, but it happened. And it was then, in the hard moment, I discovered some truth that I think will encourage all of you today in whatever hard times you might be facing. Hard times come in many shapes and sizes. I'm very mindful today that when you walked into the sanctuary today, when you got up this morning and chose to come to church, way to go to do that, we all bring different struggles. Matter of fact, some of you, this image on the screen describes you today. It's smooth. It's a long, rolling uh, ride of no hassles. Everything's going correct. That's, that's Kansas, by the way, right there. It's western Kansas. Some of you, this image describes you, okay? You came today, and it's, it's just uh, hills and valleys. It's been a year like that, maybe a week. Maybe your night was like that, and I'm so glad you're here. Maybe this image describes some of us. We don't know if we're going to make it through the week, let alone today. We all have different journeys, and we all face different struggles, and we all uh, face different things that come at us. Sometimes the struggle is just devastating. It's ravaging our lives, and we understand that, and that's reality to you. For others, we, we deal with those little pesky things that kind of trip us up, that are almost like mosquitoes that just kind of bug us, that we want to shoo away. And so hard times, it runs a spectrum from A to Z, and we all encounter it in different ways, and we all encounter it at different points in our lives in different moments. But yet God still speaks to us a sense of truth in the midst of the hard times. I want to make context of the verses we just read. Those are very familiar verses. We've heard those. We sing a hymn about that called Great is Thy Faithfulness because they're verses of hope. But as a reminder, once again, all five chapters, when you read through them, they're, they're a lament of everything going wrong in life. Matter of fact, chapter three is, it begins just like this. It begins with these words, I am a man who has seen affliction. And then the rest of those 20 verses he describes in detail about how he is seeing affliction. If you're going through hard times, you read that, you go, oh, I get this. I get this. Matter of fact, he ends this description in verse 20 with, with the end of this. He writes, I remember my affliction and my wandering. I remember the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That's where he is. He's going through the hard time and his soul is downcast within him. But in the next verse, in verse 21, beginning in the verses we read in God's word just a moment ago, we see a dramatic transition. He says this, yet. If you have your Bible at home or here in the sanctuary, I invite you to circle that word yet because it's one of the most powerful descriptive words. 20 verses of devastation, but all of a sudden he says yet. 
Not after he's fixed the problem, not after he's gotten through, not after he's figured out. In the midst of this struggle, he says, this is what's going on yet. Yet, this I call to mind and have hope. And have hope. We call this a, a, a mindset shift. It's a mindset shift. In the middle of the devastation, he makes a mindset shift, meaning that he chooses to go, I know the devastation is real, but in the midst of it, I choose to have hope. There's a little image here that I put up here because this describes it, I think, very well. Is that in our adversity, our struggles, our high times, our adversity can define us or it can refine us. We have a choice. We can allow it to just define us and we stay stuck in that moment. Or like this author who is writing of the devastation of Jerusalem, he says, I know this is going wrong, yet I still have hope. He, we can allow it to refine us as well. When we pull out iron ore from the ground, it's just a basic thing, but in order to turn it into hard steel, it needs to go to a refinery to do the refining process. And that's what God does with us. We can allow the adversity to define us, or, can, or we can call to mind what God has done and allow it to refine us instead of define us. John Gordon, uh, a, a author and speaker who is a follower of Jesus, by the way, has this very well-known image, and I invite you to take a look at it. And maybe Google it and post it on your refrigerator or make it a screensaver throughout the, the rest of this week or the rest of this year. He reminds us of things that are out of our control and things that are in our control. Things that are out of our control are other people's actions, you know, others' feelings, the mistakes that are going on, the other people's opinions. But the things we can control is our attitude, our effort, our behavior, or even our actions. They're pretty powerful, aren't they? And they help us understand, and you've heard this, maybe it was from a coach, maybe from your mom or dad or grandparent, maybe from a friend. Control what you can control, let go of what you can't. Our adversity, our hard times can define us or they can refine us. And there's a choice in that. Now, I know I'm being broad sweeping because sometimes there's affliction that comes upon our life that we have no definition of and we can't handle and reaching into the past to try to figure things out can, can, can be very difficult. But I'm telling you today is that even in the worst of times, we can choose to remember what God has done or we can write it off. The mind shifts, mindset shift makes a decision to allow God to do what he does best. There's this idea that we find what we look for. It's true, isn't it? We find what we look for. My psychologist friends call it selective perception. Here's a description of it. Uh, a number of years ago, I grew up in Southern California. I moved to Wichita, Kansas from Santa Monica, which is the beach of LA. And we're here maybe about three months and my beach girl wife, comes up to me at dinner and says, hey, I want a Ford F-150 pickup truck. That's what I want. I want a Ford F-150 double cab pickup truck. Guys, I learned that 
she saw the truck as having a bigger purse. She just was going to fill it with more stuff. I'm going, oh, no, like that. So for the next month, everywhere I went, all I saw were Ford F-150 pickup trucks. So yes, there's many of them in Kansas. But because my mind was geared towards that, that's what I saw. It's the same idea that bad things always happen on Friday the 13th. Well, of course not. But because it's in our head when something happens, we go, oh, Friday the 13th. And then we begin to look for those bad things. There's a positive side of this, a flip side with the attitude of gratitude. I've talked to you about it before, is that when we frame our day with negativity, that's what we find. But when we frame our day with gratefulness, with gratitude and appreciation, that's what we find. We find what we look for. In adversity, we can choose to allow the adversity to define us, or we can allow it to, uh, to refine us, and it's our choice in the midst of the devastation. So look at the rest of that verse, verse 21. The mindset shift, yet he shifts to this idea of calling something to mind and having hope. And so what gives him hope in the midst of the struggle? It's calling something to mind. And we know in the passage it's God's faithfulness. Calling something to mind is the idea of remembering. So many can contemplative and spiritual authors refer to the idea of remembering as the spirituality of remembering because it's a process of digging deep and understanding where we've come from, what uh, has gone on in the past, and what has informed who we are today. And it's, uh, it's just an amazing thing is. He remembers. Now, remembering in itself is a mindset shift. In the Latin, the word remember, re, mean again, memor, meaning mindful. It's being mindful again. And so when we want to do a shift, a mindset shift in the midst of our adversity, one of the ways we do that is by remembering, by remembering. By the way, the word remember is, uh, is used 350 times in the Bible. Matter of fact, when we uh, read through the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we're uh, we're very, very mindful of seeing how, the, uh, how God's people were always doing things to help people remember. When God would do something significant, when they, uh, when they uh, won a battle, when something good would happen, they would build a memorial. They uh, would often pile a bunch of rocks together. And so when people would pass that way, generation after generation, they would remember what God had done in that moment. Well, well, why would they have to do that? Because people forget. We forget uh, what happened yesterday quite often. We forget what happened two years ago. We forget what happened 100 years ago. And God wants us to remember the things that he has done. Well, what do we need to remember? Jeremiah reminds us. Lamentations 3, 22, 23. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. There's that great phrase, great is your faithfulness. So his ability to get through the hard times is his, his choice, his mindset shift to remember God's faithfulness. He remembers that God's love is great for us and we are not consumed. Matter of fact, if you haven't heard it in a while, hear it right now. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. And matter of fact, 
if you're struggling or you failed him and you haven't shown the love back to him, you know what? His mercies, his compassions, they are new every morning and they're extended to you every day. Matter of fact, if you're having trouble getting through the next day because of your hard time, you know what? God will provide you his hope and encouragement every day. And they're brand new every morning. It's not just like the old stuff. He's going to present something new and hopeful to you every day that will get you through. It might be through people. It might be through the word. It might be through whatever, but his mercies are new every morning. Why? Because his faithfulness is great. That's what Jeremiah remembers. In the midst of the loss, in the midst of the devastation, disappointment, and destruction, he chooses to remember that God is faithful. And that's what gets us through. When we're in the fire, it's hard to see the good, isn't it? We learn it in hindsight. I had a mentor who used to call it holy hindsight. It was the idea, it's the ability to look back and remember what God has done. Because when we're in the midst of it, it's hard to see the struggle. But actually, by remembering, we give the process of what God is doing that's power. Uh, here's an example of it. One of the ways that in our family we like to remember is pulling out picture albums or watching old videos, or if you're uh, on Facebook, your, your memories will pop up different things that happened over the years on that particular day, and we love to celebrate those things. When I look at old pictures of the house I grew up in in Orange County, California, or I look up uh, at the house that we live now in Wichita, I look at old pictures, the first thing I notice is how big the trees have gotten. Oh my gosh, look at that maple, or look at those shrubs, look at this. They, you know, now they're just huge. That's what I see. But when we're sitting there looking out the big picture window, we don't see the trees growing. But when we look in hindsight, we can see what was happening all the time. That's what God wants us to understand. Because sometimes we can't exactly see God's work and what he's trying to pull off in the midst of the hard time. But by remembering we look back, we go, oh my gosh, look what he did. A number of years ago, when I began you know, ministry in, in my 20s, I wrote a spiritual autobiography of my own life. Ten pages where I tracked back my birth, the influence of my grandmother and mother, all the way to where I was now. And I was blown away when I finished because when I looked at it from a perspective as a 20-something, I saw how everything that God was doing was all connected together by doing that process. Uh, as I got older, I, I would lead a leadership conferences for high school seniors and college freshmen at Mount Hermon Christian Conference Center in Santa Cruz, California. And they would come in for two weeks and we would train them and to go back and do what they did. And one of the first things I did was have them write a 10-page spiritual autobiography. They hated it. But one by one, they all would come back to me and they would call me. they go, now I see, I understand what God was pulling off. That's what remembering does. That's what remembering does. Matter of fact, can you remember right now a time where God came through for you? Where God, it could have been in your childhood, it could have been a few years back, it could have been recently, it could have been, you know, I encourage you to write it down right now and reflect on it and celebrate that today because it will remind you that God is doing his work even with you today. 
Here's what I do, and here's an example. So I'm putting up on the screen an image of a, of a young boy. This is our son, Joshua. Linda and I were sitting in the front. Well, we couldn't have children because of her endometriosis, and uh, we... It was hard. We wanted to be parents. We were never devastated like maybe some of you who have faced an infertility. And it, just, it just destroys you. We so get that. But because I was a youth pastor for so many years, I, we had thousands of kids in our lives. We were too busy, you know, taking care of your kids. And so we decided to enter into the world of adoption. It kind of falled, it fell into our, our feet, uh, actually. And the story is, in 2002, we ended up adopting a nine-year-old boy from St. Petersburg, Russia. Okay? It was that year process of pulling off. We had met him, so we had a relationship. But the process of, of, the, of the U.S. and especially the Russian laws, the Russian laws changed twice. We had to go over there twice to work things out, which turned out to be a good thing, hanging out with him. But I remember that when... You know, it was just hard. It was hard. And I thought, oh, this is just going to fall through again, you know, this whole parenting thing. And I remember we're at the orphanage, you know, when we were going through the process. I had met with the orphanage director in St. Petersburg. We were talking. Linda was with Josh in, the, uh, in, a, in a room, and I thanked the orphanage director. And as I turned to come into the room, I heard probably the most audible voice from God. It wasn't audible, but it was in my head. The most direct voice from God I've ever heard. It said, Steve, this isn't going to mess up. I'm with you, and I've been in this from the beginning. That's the exact words I heard. And then the phrase, 1993. Well, I closed the door, and I guess I turned white, and Linda looks at me and goes, what's going on? What's wrong with you? I go, God just talked to me. She goes, what did he say? I said, he's been in this from the beginning, 1993. And she goes, what does that mean? I go, Linda. 1993, we lived in, in Los Angeles. I was a minister of students at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. They were the big UCLA church. And we were the hot prayer topic in 1993 because we were trying to get pregnant and do all the different things to do it. I was having little old ladies come up to me, giving me actually advice on how to get pregnant. This one little lady came up. She was probably in her ADC now. Don't wear, don't wear Speedo underwear. I, you need to wear boxers because that's going to help you through. And I go, I probably shouldn't have shared that, but I did. But anyhow, I'm going, go away from me. Anyhow, we spent 1993, every prayer request, every Sunday we were in the bulletin, you know, pray for Stephen and Linda to get pregnant didn't happen. We moved to Wichita, Kansas in 1994. I walk into the door and I tell Linda, God just said 1993. She goes, what does that mean? I go, Linda, Josh was born <laughs> in 1993. This was 2002. And it was just a little moment of God saying, hey, I heard your prayer. I didn't leave you. I was working the whole time preparing this kid for your life. I'm faithful. Trust me. Here's a picture from last week. Great kid, grew up really well, won a state championship in soccer at Wichita, Kansas at Trinity Academy. Played four years of college soccer. Met a wonderful girl. They got married. They just had their first baby. They're building their own house. God is faithful. Matter of fact, that's Carrie, my daughter-in-law. I met Carrie. Flying back from, uh, I was flying back from Orlando. Carrie was flying back from Washington, D.C. Both our flights got canceled. We got on two flights that we weren't supposed to be on. We sat next to each other in the back row, talked. I go, oh, you're at K-State? So's my son. 
you, uh, you guys ought to meet together sometime. And they actually, actually ended up connecting. They went out on a date. Four years later, she's my daughter-in-law. Is God faithful or what? There's Gabriel. We didn't think we were gonna become parents. And now our name continues through a son, through a beautiful daughter, and now a little boy named Gabriel Dickey. God's faithful. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to think back into your own life and try to come up, maybe write a 10-page spiritual autobiography and come up with times where God came through and, and celebrate those. Because it will get you through today because by remembering them, it will remind you that God's present. God's faithfulness is like a core that runs through our history. It connects the past and the future with the present. And we can remember it when we look at it. Matter of fact, if you're struggling to remember, then celebrate what God is doing in my life. Use my story. Or use a friend. Uh, or use a parent or what somebody has done. But I encourage you to dig deep and come up with ways that God has been faithful because he's been maneuvering through your life all the time. You just have to remember them. And if you're having trouble coming up with one thing where God came through for you, the problem probably isn't with God. Okay? Because we want life to be like this, uphill and smooth sailing. But life is like this, isn't it? Okay? And sometimes we get in that low point, we get in the valley, and we get stuck there. Now, sometimes we ha- it's, we ha- it just happens as part of the, the thing. But one of the things that I've discovered in my own life is that it's in the stuck point when God does his best work. I was telling Cheryl Rundell uh, between services, there was an old contemplative writer, not St. John of the Bible, but St. John of the Cross, who used to refer to hard times as the dark night of the soul. And he was quick to say that sometimes when we go through that dark night of the soul, we're too quick to get out of it because it's in that dark night where God does some work within us. Okay? Why? Because we're in those struggles, we somehow can see things a little more clearly because when things get better, we're not as quick to do the transitions and get at the hard stuff that God wants to do. Well, look at this passage here. The rest of chapter 3, verses 24, 25, and 26 says this. Jeremiah says, So, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. That's a pretty powerful thing to remember in this idea of remembering and hardship. Because it's in our hardship where we face the greatest pain. And we'll often do anything to, re- to eradicate the pain. And we'll often use all sorts of vices to do that. You know what I'm talking about. We'll find anything that will ease and, and mask the pain. But Jeremiah says, in the midst of the hardship, I remember that the Lord is my portion, meaning he's the one that fulfills me. He's the one that satisfies me. He is my contentment. I won't find it anyplace else. And so he says, I will wait for him. Circle that word, wait. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good, there's that word again, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Twice in those three verses, he refers to waiting. How many of you hate to wait? 
okay? How many of you, when you're at Sam's Club and you pull up your cart, you're just, you're looking at all 10 lines trying to figure out which one has the low, and that's where you draw. How many of you, when you pull up at a stoplight, you're trying to judge which lane has the oldest car so you can avoid that and you know that one will leave faster? How many of you are, you set your microwave for 15 seconds and you're screaming at the microwave, hurry up, okay? Waiting is hard, it's difficult, but yet in hardship, the waiting process that Jeremiah reminds us of is when God does his best work. I refer to this as the in-between times. It's that time that where we, we aren't through it yet, we haven't got to the other side yet, we're in the in-between time. In Jeremiah, this is where he's at, and this is why he does the mind shift, mindset shift. He goes, I'm in this in-between time, but in the in-between time, I'm going to remember God's faithfulness. I'm going to remember God's faithfulness. Well, what does God do in the in-between time? Okay. What does he do? He, first of all, he builds endurance. He uses the hard time to make us stronger to build endurance. Now, I have a friend right here in the front row, Justin Moore. Justin, just stand up. Just stand up right where you are. Kind of wave to the audience right here. Just, no, 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 stay standing, Justin. Stay standing. Just kind of turn around and wave, let everybody know you're here. Now, you stay standing, Justin. Justin was an incredible athlete when he was in high school and college. He was a baseball player, played college baseball. He was a pitcher, all right? Now, a lot of us think pitchers don't run, but Justin ran. Okay, because when you lose or when you, you fail, you run, don't you? Okay, so let, let's say you ran a lot, okay? And so let's say Justin, you know, he's been starting to run, you know, recently, he told me this year, and let's say Justin and his beautiful wife decide to take us to the Friends University track and we're gonna run five miles with Justin right after the service here, yeah! And Justin, we're running, we're running, we're running, and, you know, some of us make one lap, you know, what, was it four laps or five laps around a track for a mile? So we make it one lap, you know, around, and then we're losing our Chipotle over on the corner, or Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A people here. So we lose it on the corner, and Justin goes, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Just try harder, try harder, try harder. And we get 500 feet, and we collapse because our legs just won't do it. Justin knows. Justin, you can sit down there. Thank you very much. Justin knows that you can try as hard as you want to run five miles to run a mile, but if you haven't trained for it, it's, it's not gonna happen, it's gonna be a struggle. There's a difference between training and trying because God understands is that in the training, in the trial, in the struggle, in the hardship, he is building within us endurance. That's a promise. Will you do me a favor and repeat after me? Consider it all joy, my brethren. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be more perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, I forgot this part, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be what? More perfect and complete, not lacking anything. God has a purpose in mind, and he often uses trials and struggle and hardship to line us up where we need to be so he can do his work. 
And our response is that mindset shift where we go, okay, God, I'll trust you because I know you've been faithful in the past and I'm assuming you're being faithful now and I'll continue in it. That's why I, I followed through your last three uh, uh, Sundays. And way to go, Central, to deal with a real issue and get after it in, with a heartfelt reality of what God offers. And I'm so proud of my friend, Phil Smith, who got up last Sunday and shared about the, the loss of his son. But in the midst of it, did you hear what he said? In the midst of the pain of his struggle, what did he say? He said, God's still good. That's what, because he understood as an older man that God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us and he gets us through. Here's the second thing that, that uh, hardship does for us is that it teaches us a better way. It teaches us a better way. I told you I spent all my college summers working at a Christian camp in Northern California. And uh, we had a, a foreman at the camp. He was the head maintenance guy who had an old hound dog named Tramp. And Tramp, um, Tramp was this great dog, older dog. And every morning, early in the morning, Bill would go in and clean the camp pool and would bring Tramp in with him, and he would shove Tramp into the pool. Tramp hated it. You know, imagine the old hand, though. You know, no, no, no. Plop, he goes into the pool, and he starts swimming around, and Bill, every Sunday or every morning, would come over to the stairs, and he'd go, Tramp, stairs, Tramp, stairs. And Tramp would swim over to the stairs and climb out. Well, we all understand, or at least I, I think we do, that when you have a pool and you have a dog, a dog can fall in the pool, and it happens all the time. The dog swims around, doesn't know how to get out of the pool, and drowns. And so Bill was using something that Tramp did not like. It was adversity. It was cold. It was early in the morning. But he, God, or Bill was teaching Tramp something that would potentially save his life someday. God is always teaching us a better way, is that he's maneuvering us through things, and sometimes it comes through struggle because he's helping work something out. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe later in life we can figure it out in hindsight, but I'm confident of this. Tell you what, we'll all meet at the flagpole in heaven someday, okay, if they have a flagpole. We'll meet there with Jesus. It'll be an appointment. And we'll go, hey, Jesus, you know, each of us will ask about a hard time in our life. And I think what he'll do is he'll explain it to us and we'll all go, oh, of course. Our own heart, our own minds, <laughs> we can't figure out things like that because we're just so finite. But so we trust in the faithful God. Here's the third thing that God does is that in the midst of our struggle, he gives us a testimony. Our hard times, our struggle gives us a testimony. When I was in college, I uh, volunteered with the high school youth group at our church along with a, a friend named Dave. I want you to jump a couple years before when Dave and I were sophomores in high school. Dave and I uh, lived just we lived next to each other. He'd right around the corner, and he would always hang out at our house. My parents were real close with him. And one day he came over. He was hanging out, eating dinner with us, and he started to cry. And he goes, you guys, I just found out my mom and dad are getting a divorce. And he just broke down. My parents loved on him and took care of him. And, you know, they, Dave just worked through all this. He learned things. And it was hard, but, you know, he, you know, he, he, he processed it along the way. 
Jump ahead, Dave and I are working in the youth group as college kids. I think we're seniors. When we were having a, it was right after the, the, the Sunday night youth group where we had a, some singing and worship. We call it an afterglow. Do some of you remember the things like that? And then we have sharing and things like that. And a, a, little, a, a little freshman from Garden Grove High School raised her hand, and her name was Bernadette. And she says, I, I, and she said in tears, I just found out today that my parents are divorcing. I don't know what to do. And she just lost it. Different people offered her words of encouragement, said some powerful things. But there was a senior, a college kid that stood up, one of the leaders, and he looked at her and said words and advice and comfort that no one else could say. It was Dave. Because what God had gone through him, he chose to trust and follow Jesus in the hard times, and God used his testimony. It still does today, by the way. God used his testimony to offer comfort for her. You understand that one day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. That's the reality of what God gives us. And that's a choice, by the way a mindset shift to remember that God is faithful. I brought this Bible up on purpose because I told you this was my high school Bible and there's a little note in here, you know, next to Lamentations 3 about this girl at 16 who broke up with me. Let me give you the rest of the story. We didn't see each other for years. You know, we communicated back and forth, married the, the, the best woman on the planet. And we're at a, a, at a reunion just five years ago, and, and she was there with her husband. And we just, her husband's a pastor, too, and we're talking and encouraging her. And, 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 her. and she looks at Linda, and she says, I want you to know something. First of all, she looks at me, and she goes, I'm sorry I hurt you. And then she looks at Linda, and she goes, she goes, she had five kids. When each of my kids turned 16, I told them about Steve and how he was a godly guy, and how he prayed for, with me on dates. And she said, I told my kids to be like him. In the midst of the devastation, God gave me just a little hint that he was in it and working and doing stuff all the time. I don't know what you're going through today, brothers and sisters. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what you're trying to figure out and how to manage through. All I know is that God is faithful and he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. The great hymn, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, has this line as we end our time together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy comfort and compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, Thou will forever be. Great is thy faithfulness. There is no shadow in turning with thee. When we walk around with the light, there's always a shadow in where we are. But God has no shadow. And wherever we turn, he's always there. He doesn't disappear into the shadows, into the limelight. That's what the verse means. By the way, the music to Great is Thy Faithfulness was written by a Kansan. Do you know this? From Baldwin City. Anyhow, he wants us to know that he's always there and never disappears in the shadows. That's the hope we have for here, and that's the reminder of today. Will you pray with me?